welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro, a Japanese film club podcast. I'm your host for this month, Scott Dryman. And with me, as always, are Alex Kisanis. Hey, Scott. I sure am hungry for Doriaki. <laughs> me too. And Joey Weiser. Hey, guys. I sure am allergic to Doriaki. Oh, but man. I, I <laughs> didn't even think of that. Yeah, so the, oh, yeah, the like uh, close-ups of boiling beans and stuff was not appealing to me in any way, but I still enjoyed the movie. <laughs> that's going to put an interesting perspective on this. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Oh, Joey, that sucks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, this month we are covering uh, Naomi Kawase's 2015 film Sweet Bean, originally titled On. Because that's what, like, on is the bean paste, right? Yeah, on mm-hmm. on is, uh, yeah, the the actual paste. Uh, so I don't think any of us had any prior familiarity with this film. Nope, I'd never even heard of it until you uh, mentioned it for the podcast. Yeah, this was a a bit of kind of uh, sad serendipity in that I was looking for. Uh, we haven't featured a woman director on the show yet. So I was uh, looking around for one and happened to find a woman director in a film featuring Kieran Kiki, who was in Kamikaze Girls, who passed away earlier this year, pretty uh, sadly. Mm-hmm. So that's what sparked me to do this. I had no prior familiarity with the film. It sounded interesting from reading synopsis and, and critical reviews. So I just kind of plucked it out of the blue. Yeah, that's nice. I like that variety of pulling in things that we are not very familiar with, but maybe, you know, has something interesting about it, like a female director and and recently well-regarded but passed away uh, actress. Um, So as as I said, this Sweet Bean was directed by Naomi Kawase, who is uh, originally mostly did short films and documentary films. And I feel like some of that uh, bleeds over into uh, th- having seen this out of her full length work. It, it a lot of it influences the kind of uh, style here. Uh, her she uh, has long been a kind of critical darling, and uh, won the uh, the Grand Prix prize I think at at Cannes for her film Morning Forest. And then has been in competition uh, at Cannes for, for a lot of her other films. Sweet Bean specifically was, uh, there is kind of like a second tier competition at, at the Cannes Film Festival uh, called, uh, the French name for it means A Certain Glance, which is slightly less prestigious, but uh, this film was chosen to open that which is kind of like you're on the second tier, but we're, we're still giving you a pat on the back for, mm. for, because we like your work. So she got to open that. Um, the, uh, the, not, the movie itself is based on a novel by an, a writer, poet, and musician named Tetsuya Akikawa, who the, I think this book was under a pen name, Durian Sukagawa. Uh, I couldn't find much else on his work in any kind of English language Googling. Hmm. Uh, The cast for this film is pretty interesting. Uh, 
the the uh, first character we see, Centaro, the man who, or to give a quick synopsis, this is about a man who runs a dorayaki shop. Uh, hence the title. Dorayaki, for people who don't know, is a Japanese pastry that is basically like two sweet pancakes with sweet bean paste sandwiched in between them. A little mm-hmm. sweet sandwich. Uh, Maybe most well known in the West uh, for Doraemon, the cartoon cat robot who loves Doriaki. Yeah. Yeah, until um until very recently, uh, slightly before I saw this movie, I thought that Doriaki was very specific to Doraemon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hence the name. Uh, but uh, I was dead wrong. It's uh, the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. named after the food. Yeah. yeah. And there's several, and there's a whole bunch of different delicious variations on Doriaki as well. Uh, that you can find at your Jap- at your local uh, Japanese or Asian grocer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So the the short synopsis is a man named Centaur is working at a, a dorayaki shop and meets an older woman who wants to work there. And it's about the two of them and a younger schoolgirl who is also their friend. Um. But uh, Centaro, the man working at the the uh, pastry shop, is played by Masatoshi Nagase, who is a pretty prolific uh, character actor who has had a few starring roles. He's but he's been acting for as long as I've been alive. Um, but like I said, pretty pretty well known character actor, mm-hmm. uh, and has. Uh, done a few Western films as well, including Jim Jarmusch's mystery train, which I've not yeah, seen. I've had that recommended to me from time <clears> to time. Uh, yeah, I have a kind of hit and miss history with Jim Jarmusch, but I'm definitely interested. Yeah. Uh, he um, usually, uh, his movies are like super well cast and interesting in concept, uh, <laughs> at the very least. But, uh, he's also got some, some beefier roles in uh, Sion Sono's Suicide Club and Yoju Yamada's uh, samurai film Hidden Blade. Yeah, which uh, I've been meaning to see. It, it's you know well regarded and one of the few Yoji Yamada films that has actually a Western release. So mm-hmm. you can track that down. He's also in an earlier uh, Torasan film. Um, oh, I missed that. He plays like a rival to uh, uh, in the later Torasan films. Um, his nephew Mitsuo gets more of the spotlight as he becomes kind of like high school and college age and he gets his own like love interests and stuff. And I think uh, Nagase plays like a musician or something who's also kind of has his eye on the same lady that Mitsuo's uh, fallen in love with. Hmm. Um, the, uh, the, uh, our, our second principal, character uh, this schoolgirl wakana is played by kyari uchida who I, I was a little confused at first this is her second film role mm-hmm. uh the other one was in um a uh a hero kazu Cordieta film as uh, she was a very little girl but then upon researching a little i uh, realize that she is actually Kieran Kiki's granddaughter. Yeah, that's awesome. I love yeah. it. I, yeah, I uh, was kind of like, huh, she, this uh, actress is a kind of an interesting pick for this role. And then when I uh, when I I read that too, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it felt more real than 
than I guess a performance to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't put my finger on it, like, but yeah, that's pretty interesting. She yeah. did, I would say, looked a little like she's supposed to be like a middle schooler, I think, and that she looked older than that to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't yeah. know. I, I figure that like normally in these type of movies, uh, like or in Japanese film, characters seem aged up to me, mm. or, or aged down rather. Uh, they like I don't know. Like if you watch Battle Royale, for example, uh, some of the kids seem way older than that's than true. Their intended age. Yeah, which I, th- I think that's just a typical thing in in film and acting in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how when we were growing up, uh, nobody in Saved by the Bell looked like they should have been in high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think her performance in this is interesting. Uh, her parents, uh, both Kieran Kiki's daughter and son-in-law, are also uh, in acting and film. Hmm. So it's kind of a, kind of a dynasty. Um, and uh, she, Kieran Kiki, also has another granddaughter that appeared in one of her films, but I don't know if she's got a persistent acting career beyond that. Uh, and and getting to our final principal, Tokue is played by Kieran Kiki, who was uh, born Keiko Nakatani in 1943. Who uh, her earlier career is mostly as a stage actress, and she did a lot of comedic work, which you kind of get a, her. This is not a comedic film, but in uh, Kamikaze Girls, you get a little bit more of her like kind of comic timing and stuff. Um, but she uh, she originally operated under a different stage name and then sold that stage name as part of a TV show. <laughs> she had to sell something, and she said, this is all I have. Um, and so that's how – and then she she came up with the stage name, Kieran Kiki. Her uh, her first film uh, role is actually in the third Torsan movie, Torsan, His Tender Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looking at the casting, it looked like she had a kind of minor role. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, Joey, do you have any? Did you spot her? Yeah, it's been so long, but I, I didn't know Kieran Kiki when I had seen that film. So mm-hmm. uh, I, she doesn't stand out particularly, but I'd like to rewatch that and look out for her. Uh, so in in her, uh, her early film career, she also showed up in a number of uh, Seijun Suzuki films. Um, but really had this kind of bizarre uh, boom in her career in the 2000s as an older woman, uh, including Kamikaze Girls. Uh, but I think most notable is probably her collaboration with Hirokazu Koreeda, who is a contemporary Japanese director that we should probably cover at some point mm-hmm. uh, because he is a international critical darling right now. He's had a bunch of films that had... Uh, uh, small Western releases. My in-laws are actually big, big fans of uh, his work, specifically the film Little Sister. Hmm. But uh, Kieran Kiki is in, has been in, I think, six of Koreeda's films since 2006, most of which have uh, gotten huge critical acclaim. And she herself has won uh, multiple in regional uh, awards has won multiple best actress and supporting actress awards, including one for uh, best supporting actress in Kamikaze Girls. Um, she uh, survived breast cancer and attached retina in 2008, and then uh, ten years later, the cancer returned, and because of the cancer and complications, she passed away earlier this year. Uh, her final film is actually in uh, in Hirokazu Koreeda's. Uh, 
film this year, Shoplifters, which I have not seen but really want to now, uh, which her uh, final appearance is in a film that won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which is their most uh, prestigious award possible. So she is she has showed up in a ton of like great critically acclaimed stuff from having kind of humble comedic theater beginnings. Yeah, uh, host of the One Piece podcast um, and this network, uh, our friend Zach was sharing with some of us uh, the movie choices for this international fi- flight that he's about to go on, and Shoplifters was among them. And I was like, "Oh, hey, heard of that?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when she passed away, I was seeing a lot of uh, coverage about her, and she had recently come over to New York and won an award at the Japan Film Society or been honored there. And uh, I was kind of having trouble exactly pinpointing like what her like if she had like a breakout role or something or where she kind of gained notoriety. Like, yeah, in the 60s and 70s, it seemed like she was uh, um, or maybe 70s and 80s more so like a pretty popular television actress that was on a lot of those um, panel shows and and, uh, game shows and stuff. She was in a Truck Yarrow movie, the one where uh, Momojiro swims with dolphins, uh, which is <laughs> funny. Um, and I did like af- I'd see occasional screenshots of her, and, and I vaguely remember her. But again, it was the same kind of thing where I didn't know her at the time, so her performance doesn't particularly stick out. And I think it was kind of like a cameo thing, like here's here's that sweet actress that everybody loves. Um, but yeah, it does seem like uh, yeah, the last like decade or so, her her career really took off. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, I, in my research, I couldn't pinpoint any specific film, but it makes a lot of sense if she was big as like uh, on on those kind of like celebrity TV shows in the '80s that people who were like growing up in that era, once they start making films, decided to start featuring her. Mm-hmm. So that timeline kind of makes sense. Um, so on to the synopsis. Uh, the the when this film opens, we have this. Uh, a kind, we're introduced immediately to the kind of camera work and soundscape that the entire film's going to have, uh, with these very like in close personal shots as we follow Santaro walking out of his apartment up onto the roof to smoke, and the camera is in tight, and you just hear like incredibly loud clanking of his steps on these walkways, and. Um, and like I said, we're following like right up in his shoulder blades as he walks. And then it, it zooms out a little to, but it's still kind of very personable distance as he sits there and smokes and just gets some incredibly beautiful shots. Uh, these static wide shots of spring in Japan with all these blooming cherry trees. And it, something that struck me immediately is how like bright a lot of this film is it just very bright and and kind of uh, saturated color. Mm-hmm. And uh, some, something else that really struck me early on is that there is a huge economy of uh, performance in this. And uh, Kawase's kind of style, we don't get a lot of exposition or characters talking just in general. And so a lot of it is just on kind of like very close character study of watching people's expressions and the way they do things. And so uh, as we see Santaro go to the, the Doriaki shop, he's just kind of like 
looks exasperated basically but um once he actually gets there and starts making the the batter he's he seems to take it seriously so he's not just like he is serious about his job even though he doesn't particularly enjoy it mm-hmm. um we also get a few shots of kieran or of uh Tokwe walking down the street uh through the cherry blossoms and wakane walking past a train with her mother who uh, once the sound of the train subsides, we hear her mother asking her if she's going to high school and then admonishing her because she wants to go because studying doesn't make money. Um, kind of setting up the uh, their st- the strained relationship between Wakane and her mother. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I think someone's discouraging, <laughs> like, yeah, discouraging her from even going to high school, uh, let alone college, like, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not like that's a, huge financial burden like going to college is just like no you could be doing something for me instead um uh, next we see Santaro serving some schoolgirls and uh, getting a little more of his personality they're uh they're teasing him like affectionately teasing him uh, and giggling to each other and he's uh they tease him because a cherry blossom got in one of their doryakis and uh he gives them free Doriaki and is like, take the, if, if I give you this, will you leave? Um, but in the most polite is, way possible. Yeah. It's their relationship uh, is, is very cute. I think because he is very like gruff and test but is, <clears throat> does not actually like hate those girls. He's, that's just kind of his personality and how he likes to act. But they also get it, so it's it's a cute back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, as they leave, uh, 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 kind of shows up, and this is going to be a kind of a refrain where the the schoolgirls show up, have their fun, and then as they leave, when is when Wakane shows up, and you get kind of that she is a loner and has kind of isolation from other folks. But she shows up and. Uh, you get you get kind of a glimpse into her character where she is very reserved and kind of uh, very deliberate with her motions, I guess. <clears throat> and uh, Tokwe arrives, uh, having walked down, followed the smell of the Doriaki shop and walking down the street, and asked to work. And Centaro kind of like politely brushes her off, suggesting that she's too old and the, the the work is too hard, and gives her a doriaki, which she tries to pay for. But he's like, no, 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 you please take this, and is trying to be as polite as possible because he doesn't think that like this work suits her as much as she's kind of uh, asked for it. And then he gives Wakane the irregular pancakes that he couldn't uh, couldn't really sell. And uh, they all part ways. Ways uh, we follow Wakane back home to meet her canary, who we find out later is named Marvy. Uh, there is a big plastic bottle on, and a glass on the table, and um, it wasn't until my second watch of this that I that I caught that and put it together. Which, like, because of first my my first viewing, I was just assumed it was a water bottle or a bottle of water or something, but I. Upon rewatch, I think it might be like a big, cheap plastic bottle of sochu. Because mm-hmm. we see her mother drinking beer later and, and spilling it. And it 
might be consistent. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, the there is an economy of, of both performance and storytelling. And I feel like we never, we don't see much of the mother or get any kind of real sense that she's an alcoholic or something. But being unable to identify what that object is makes me wonder if that's supposed to be kind of more suggested at this point in the film. I think that makes sense, uh, given what we see of her character. Um, uh, so the next day, uh, Tokwe comes back to the shop and leaves uh, a Tupperware full of her homemade bean paste. And we see her, her, uh, her scarred hands for the first time. Uh, Sentaro throws it away, which is uh, seems excessively rude to me. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. Uh, then later goes back and decides to try it and is kind of like shocked at how good it actually tastes. Um, yeah, I think at this point in the film, and this also reflects kind of how he interacts with those girls at first, he's pretty depressed. And so I think I interpreted his uh, banter with the girls as being a little more on the gruff side than the playful side at this point. Okay. Um, and so I think that's kind of what I got from him throwing the bean paste away is just being like, ugh, I don't want to deal with this, you know. Um, like, it was just rude to me. And and we find out he doesn't have a sweet tooth, so I didn't – it's not surprising he didn't try to eat it. But, like, just wash out the Tupperware and give it back to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, this is also the first time that I not- noticed any music in the uh, – uh, in the film, there's it's very sparse, and I could not actually find any credit for the music. Hmm. Um, but basically, very rarely, uh, this specifically when he tr- when he tastes the bean paste, or no, before he tastes it, when he's just making pancakes for the day, he uh, we get this kind of like twee maudlin piano music playing, and uh, the the sparse music that that returns throughout the movie is basically in the same vein but most of the most of the uh the film is just kind of like an a- very very loud ambient soundscape uh which I'll talk a little bit more about later uh the next day Toke comes back and uh what is the only like kind of uh visually different shot to me in the film is that uh, Tokoe is having a conversation with Sentaro where he is in the he's in the stand uh, talking to her, and we see her reflection in the window mm. that is off to the side, um, which is just an interesting little choice that that uh, she doesn't really uh, repeat throughout the film. Tokoe um, remarks that the rain has knocked down all the cherry blossoms at this point, so we're we're. It has gone from spring to kind of later in spring, and she's talking about how the trees look like they're the leaves are waving to us, and she waves back, and we get a little sense of her kind of eccentricity. <laughs> yeah, that was really cute. And um, uh, after after a moment, Centara actually tells her that she he wants to hire her to make bean paste. And I think this is maybe uh, one of the best moments of her perf- of uh, Kieran Kiki's performance in the film, in that she looks almost weak in the knees mm-hmm. at hearing this news. Just the like subtlety of her performance at being shocked by this, 
and being delighted like she can hardly believe it and uh, like takes her glasses off and wipes away tears as she excitedly starts talking to him about what they need to do. And uh, then he is uh, less than pleased to hear that she, when she tells him that we have to wake up before Mr. Sun and uh, you get, there's uh, you get a good feeling of Toka, Toka's eccentricities and her personification of kind of everything around her, which is uh, real cute. I think to a, to a purpose. Um, but so we get a kind of retread of the very opening scene of the movie with uh, Centaro waking up and, and trundling down his stairs, but it is in pitch darkness and we see the moon for the first time in the film where the moon is a uh, uh, repeating imagery that shows up a lot. And we get this kind of in-depth look at the kind of intensive labor and work that goes into making sweet bean paste. Uh, so Joey, you, you were, you mentioned, I've, I completely forgot that you were allergic to, to beans. <laughs> and so like how I was super fascinated by all this because I love just like, I love cooking shows and, and food in general, so I like seeing how it gets made. But uh, how was how was the scene for you? Well, I, I definitely did think it was interesting um, and enjoyed it from just sort of like a, yeah, like a seeing how something is made point of view. But when we really got close up on the beans and stuff, uh, at one point I watched this movie with my girlfriend and she loves uh, bean paste and stuff and at one point I was just like, I was just like, yuck. And she was like, no, that looks great. <laughs> I was like, well, that's good. I'm glad to know that that looks great to someone who, uh, the eating beans doesn't make them sick <laughs> because, but I mean, you know, I would, uh, get excited by the lavish filming of the pancakes being made. You know, that looked good to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. This movie to. like reminded me in a lot of ways of Tom Popo. Like it was kind of like a gender reversed Tom Popo in some ways. <laughs> um, and that like there were some, you were talking about how there's not a lot of music and stuff and these kind of early scenes of them making the food together and then him eventually trying it and it being really good. Like, I feel like I was uh, uh, like kind of anticipating a Tom Popo like, huge musical moment of being like, dun, 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 you know? <laughs> what were you about to say, Alex? Oh, yeah. Um, the entire time I was watching this movie, I was, I was one, thinking about making my own dorayaki because I'm like, oh, this doesn't look too hard, uh, except for making the bean paste. Yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, I could just order it or buy it <laughs> at the store. Like, that was just idea. Defeating the entire purpose. Yeah, no, it, it's true. <laughs> but no, I thought the same thing. I was like, man, I don't have the space to do all this. And just buy some bean paste. I can yeah. make those pancakes. No, yeah, those, um, especially with that tiny little cute spatula. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I love that thing. As a as a um, weird side note, last week's episode of Gegege no Kitaro was about uh, three uh, bean-themed uh, like yokai being sad that um, youngsters don't appreciate uh, Azuki uh, pastries and stuff that the way that they used to and, and one of them is specifically a bean washing yokai uh, and <laughs> so I was like there was a moment I when we were watching the movie uh, my girlfriend and I were kind of like trying to figure out what the deal is with Kiki's character and we were like maybe she's homeless then at one point I was like maybe she's a yokai <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh my god that would have been that would have been wild uh, 
Oh, man, I'm I'm way behind on Kitaro. Uh, <laughs> one of these days, I'll just spend a Saturday morning and just watch everything. Um, so the other the other like kind of side thing in the scene is when he adds the Mizuame to it. I was like, what the hell is this stuff? Yeah, because um, I was like that Mizuame is it's just candy water. Yeah, it's like um, syrup, basically. Uh. But yeah, it's it's basically the Japanese equivalent of corn syrup mm. uh, that they make with um, by processing rice in a way that removes the starch and just leaves the sugar the same way that that corn get made gets made into corn syrup. Uh, but it has a slightly different texture than corn syrup. Yeah, it's it just weird like watching him like. Something. Yeah. Uh, there's but um, yeah, it's just a, a sweetener and binder. There's a there's a. Uh, the villain of the fourth One Piece movie has a devil fruit that turns his body into Mizuame. Oh uh, man! Yeah, it sounds gross. It's the Ame Ame fruit, and uh, Luffy defeats him by coating his hands in flour. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in in this process, she you you get more of her like personifying the beans and examining them and talking to them and kind of treating them with respect and gentleness uh, instead of just violently thrashing and crushing them in, into pace. And she talks about like the journey they've been on from where they grew to like what they've seen before they got here. And uh, eventually they, they finish making the, the bean paste and Sentaro makes some Doraki and is just incredibly impressed with the finished product and admits it's the first time he's eaten a, a completed Doraki because he has no sweet tooth. Um, and Tokwe is, is taken aback and is like, why don't you just work at a pub instead? And he admits that the reason he works there is because he is uh, in debt to the owners who uh, paid another debt for him. So it's basically transferred to these people he know he knows. Uh, who agreed to let him work it off in this shop, but will not elaborate further than that. Uh, next day, everybody is super impressed with the the recipe with the the new recipe. Uh, we get a short scene that I'm still trying to parse the the meaning of, where Wakane uh, reads a story to a little boy who is wearing an adorable frog shirt that I wish I could <laughs> make it in an adult size. Um, she reads him this little book and it's got, uh, we see a little more moon imagery in the book and then follow her home where she's cleaning dishes and her mom is like flirting with somebody on the phone and spill, then spills beer on the kid's book, which, uh, what is very upset about and kind of walks off to her room and her mom tells her that she has to get rid of Marvy, the canary who is just chirping away, but <laughs> apparently making too much noise. Uh, we uh, we see them making the, the bean paste for the next day, and uh, Tokue whispers, keep up the good work, which I, like, giggled at when Sentaro says, uh, responds to, and is like, thank you, I, I will. But she's like, no, I'm talking to the beans. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I... I it's very obvious where that's going. It's a cute little little bit. Uh, they talk a little about the the customers and the schoolgirls. And Tokoe says that she's looking forward to meeting meeting them. 
and uh, Centaro is incredibly confused when he opens the blinds and there's a line of people waiting outside. He's like, "What? What's going on? What?" He he like it doesn't even parse in his brain that they're waiting for him to open so they can buy Doriaki. <laughs> um. Uh, that night, uh, the owner, who is this like kind of fussy rich lady, shows up and uh, tells Centaro that there are rumors going around. And we discover that, uh, that in fact, Tokue had leprosy. The address that she gives uh, Centaro uh, earlier in the film is to a uh, leper sanitarium where they were uh, forced to go. Uh, uh, in in decades past, uh, because lepers were were often confined to colonies and not allowed to to uh, leave them for fear of the disease spreading. Um, which I'll I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the the disease later. But uh, the the owner remarks that she took care of the rumor, but Tokue has to has to be fired, and then gets so paranoid that she like demands hand sanitizer and sits there like washing her hands for the the entire rest of the scene as they talk a little more, and like once again these economy of performances like you, it's very easy to hate this lady immediately. Mm-hmm. Um. And Centaro is so inconsolable that he goes on a drinking binge and is hungover in his, like, uh, foyer the next day and decides to take the day off, but tells Tokoe to go ahead and make the bean paste for tomorrow. Uh, But she wants to open the blinds just to let more light in, but there's already customers outside, so she decides to just open the shop and run it herself, which she does. Uh, It's very cute. She is not... As masterful as she is at making bean paste, she is not nearly as good at making the uh, making the uh, pancakes and messes up a bunch of them. Uh, but it's pretty cute, and she gladly runs the shop and talks to everybody by herself. Uh, and it's she remarks that it's a lot more work than she thought it was. The boss does so much work. Um. But has a good time. Uh, eventually, Wakane shows up, and we get the, a very sweet scene where it's just, uh, especially knowing now that it's just a grandmother and granddaughter actually acting in that scene of uh, Tokue and Wakane talking because the schoolgirls left right before uh, Wakane showed up, and she asked, "Aren't you going? They're they're in a hurry. Aren't you going with them?" And she uh, says, "No, I I don't." go to the thing they're going to and they talk a little bit about uh marvy and birds in general about how birds uh deserve to be free and this is a thing about the soundscape of the movie is that like constantly throughout most of the movie there's this like we hear all the these ambient sounds of like wind rushing and and people stepping and and like the eggs cracking and stuff while they're making things. But another thing that's constant throughout the movie is uh, bird songs and not just Marvy, but we hear birds chirping constantly and it just sounds like idyllic and nice, but uh, it it eventually becomes a refrain as well. Um, The next morning, uh, Centaro shows up to find Tokue making bean paste, which he did not expect because he thought that he made it the 
or she made it the previous day, but then finds out that she ran the shop by herself and is he is a little uh, confused, but uh, kind of pleased about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, later, Tokue is is at the shop talking to the schoolgirls about school, uh, trying to encourage them to figure out ways to make it less terrible. And basically says that uh, it's school's important, but it's about being free to like do what you want and be happy. And talks about how her own childhood aspirations of being a school teacher and teaching uh, uh, Japanese literature and poetry. And then says that uh, because it was shortly after the war, this was not, it wasn't really a time that she could do that, uh, further concealing that her, her real reasons that she couldn't go into that work. Um, it's this point where Wakane has herself, the, the rumors of uh, Tokwe's leprosy have been circulating again. And uh, th- these are never things explicitly stated in the film. It's something you kind of have to back engineer um, from what's going on. But uh, she asked Tokwe about her, her kind of scarred, uh, gnarled hands and Tokwe only responds that it's because she uh, she um, had a, a an illness in childhood that made them that way, mm-hmm. uh, but but does not say specifically what or elaborate any further than that. And uh, the next scene is we're kind of going to the library to actually learn about uh, leprosy, which is now known as Hansen's disease, uh, with a friend of hers from a, a kind of pub they went that she went to earlier with Centaro that. I did not put in my notes for some reason. No, it's fine. But uh, it's uh, this this young man that she's uh, friends, maybe a little flirty with. Uh, but they, and she reads about Hansen's disease, and we see the kind of the results of of what happens when you have Hansen's disease, and. Uh, so the in Japan the the law that forced people with this disease to remain confined and separate from society was repealed in 1996. I know that's crazy. Uh, which yeah, and and there are still places around the world, uh, some in uh, India, China, and Africa, according to Wikipedia, that there are still places that by law confine that have leper colonies that they are not permitted to leave. Yeah, uh, this even totally though, like <clears throat> shows my, you know, my Western privilege. Uh, but like I, yeah, at first when they were talking about leprosy, like my immediate thought was like, is this a mistranslation or something? Because I just think of leprosy as being such a sort of ancient disease. I think of it as like biblical, right? And like, uh, yeah, it was uh, really, really uh, eye-opening and, and um, interesting to see something dealing with it in such modern times. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, I was gonna say the uh, uh, every time this came up, like the the concept of leprosy in modern culture, I just kept thinking about uh, this episode of The Simpsons where uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Burns finances and then joins uh, Homer's bowling team, and uh, his fingernail falls off in his beer, and he goes, "Oh well, that's leprosy for you." Like it's uh, super casual, and the only time I've ever like. Uh, it's not a disease that is widely talked about uh, 
in the news or or in culture, I think, mm-hmm. aside from the phrase leper colony. So uh, this movie, more than anything else, I think was educational for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that afterwards, but like, as far as, as the, con- uh, the, uh, the subject of leprosy goes, uh, this was a uh, sort of eye-opening for me. Yeah. I had a little more prior knowledge about it going into this because I've, uh, I like researching exotic pets. And one of the reasons that mm. you shouldn't keep armadillos as pets is they can carry leprosy. Mm. Right. And so, like, tangential to that, I read up a little, which leprosy, for those who don't know, is a, a infectious disease that can uh, – it is very common that when it infects you that your uh, extremities can be become so infected and necrotic that they simply fall off. Uh, so, like, fingers, uh, toes, even, like – portions of your entire hands and feet, uh, your nose, ears, that kind of thing. And so it was a very horrifying disease in older times because it was progressive and people didn't know what to do about it. And it was also moderately contagious, not nearly as contagious as people at the time thought, which is why they confined people to these colonies. But it's it. there's conjecture that it was less... Uh, less fear of the disease and more fear that because a lot of people, when they got this disease, like I said, they would lose their, their nose and ears and kind of get this uh, skeletal look to their face that frightened a lot of people. And so it's, it was largely that that made them shunned by communities uh, more so than, than fear of the, the contagion itself. Um, But uh, I, I don't know when exactly the cure was, was discovered, but, uh, in modern times uh, and for the past several decades, leprosy is easily curable with about a, a year-long uh, treatment. And so there's largely we, – we hear about leper colonies and stuff, but it's, it's not a very contagious disease as long as people are, are observing basic hygiene. And it's also very treatable, which is why I think we don't hear about it much. But the fact that there are people who were forced into these colonies who who did get this treatment when they were younger that are still alive today uh, is, is something worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the movie. Uh, by now, the the next scene, the rumors have, we see an empty uh, the 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 toriyaki shop is now. Uh, empty Santaro and Tokwe are just kind of sitting around idle waiting for customers who aren't arriving. And uh, it, once again, like having to, to engineer what's going on in this took me a while to realize like, oh, this is happening because the rumors have finally gone widespread that Tokwe uh, had leprosy. And so that's why people aren't coming to the shop anymore. And Santaro blames the cold, but uh Tokwe is like no cold. Cold makes people want uh, want Doriaki, but they kind of both know what's going on. And uh, Sentaro dejectedly tells Tokwe she can leave for the day. But and we see her kind of pack up her stuff and wave to the to the wind in the trees. But she really understands what's going on and does not return. 
And uh, when she doesn't return, Centauro goes on kind of a, another bender and we get this very brief scene of him like in his apartment surrounded by empty glasses and cans and stuff screaming into his arm. And uh, next day, reopening his shop by himself, he receives a letter from Tokue uh, meditating on like, once again, the kind of travels that the beans have made and like the, the kind of reflecting that back towards like humanity and what it's like to exist in the world and wishing him well. Uh, shortly after that, um, Wakane is running away from home with her bird and she's got a big old backpack and a coat covering the bird cage and shows up at the Doriaki shop and they decide the, the two of them decide together to go visit Tokue at her address, which they, they know is at the, the leper sanitarium. And as they leave they're uh, they, uh, they're riding the bus and we get a little shot through the, uh, of the, the evening sky with the moon again. And, uh, when there, there's a, this beautiful forest path kind of leading to where the sanitary or uh, sanitarium is. That's a little secluded through this path. That's very beautiful. What kind of warns Centara that some of the people might look disfigured or might be missing their nose. And when they finally get to the town, like, some of the people do have some some physical uh, deformities, but they're all like very happy and warm and laughing mm-hmm. and smiling. And so, like this thing that society thinks is like scary and should be secluded, like these are just people, and they're they're happy, kind people. Uh, and so they they go to visit her, and they find Tokwe. Um, uh, sitting in the corner of a shop and talk to her a little while and she talks about how she ended up in the sanitarium or I can't remember whether it's sanitarium or sanatorium sanatorium I'm so sorry. Sanatorium. sanatorium is the one where they take, put people with mental health problems yeah, yeah. and sanatorium is this okay uh, in the sanatorium uh, or they talk about how she got dropped off and kind of the she was a, a around middle school age, around the same age as Wakane and talks about her brother leaving her there uh, being like, if you have leprosy, I'm going to leave you here and you have to stay and I will not come back and talks about a dress that her, a, a very nice dress that her mother had made her. Uh, she doesn't even know where she got the fabric for it. Uh, so it seems like a big deal, but that dress along with all the rest of her belongings were destroyed because they were worried that mm-hmm. they might transmit leprosy. And so that she, she had to leave behind everything she knew and, and go to this place where she was more or less trapped. Um, around that time, a, another woman approaches and it's uh, Tokwe's friend, uh, Yoshiko. And they go and uh, t- take uh Wakane and, and Centauri to try some uh, sweet bean soup with salty sides. And they talk a little bit about, <clears throat> uh, about cooking and how they try to try to sometimes try to serve uh, salty sides with sweet soup uh, as kind of a contrast. And 
Wakane is like, oh, we should try to make some uh, some salty doriaki, which actually sounds really good to me. Uh, shortly after, Centaur begins kind of getting like choked up, uh, and Tokue tell, tells reassures him that like both the the time that that she had working at the bean shop was uh, was a perfect time that she loved that and it made her very happy and that she is okay now and that she will be okay. And just this very kind of him eating the soup, trying to like stifle these tears um, and, and not kind of ruin the moment. And, but both of them are both Centaur and uh, Tokwe are, are choking up thinking about the end of this beautiful time together. Yeah, man, this movie is very gentle in a, in a lot of ways, but when it gets emotional, I think it hits even harder uh, in some mm-hmm. ways because of that. Um, and it's you know portrayed with the same tone. It's not like they're doing one of those kind of like tone reversal, pulling the rug out from you type things. Like it's yeah, it's just very like feels very real and uh, felt very emotional at, at this moment and and some others. Yeah, it was at this moment uh, Amy turned to me and my wife was like, you didn't tell me this was a sad movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, this just this scene right here is is very, very emotional. Um, but yeah, the, my, my favorite line from this scene is she she tries to reassure him by saying you should smile when something is delicious. As as he tries to choke back tears while he's eating, um, and and that's pretty much the end of that scene. And the next day, Sentaro is writing a letter to Tokue, uh, explaining how he ended up in the Doriaki shop, and confesses that he was working at a pub and trying to like got in the middle of a fight, and, but ended up like seriously injuring somebody and spent three years in prison and the debt that he, that the shop owners repaid was reparations to the family for having like permanently injured this person he was in the fight with. And that's why he is now kind of chained to this, uh, this Doriaki shop. Um, then, uh, Next, we see Centaro and Wakane trying to make salty doriaki without very uh, without much luck. Uh, Wakane thinks it's okay. Centaro is not into it, um, and they're trying different like salt, different uh, different ways to make it salty and different kind of kinds of salt. <clears throat> when the uh, rich owner lady shows back up with her bratty nephew. <laughs> This guy's the worst. Oh my God, yeah, no. Is once again this economy and it's like he just looks like an asshole. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's like chewing gum and like super looks like he does not want to be there. Uh, she's wearing this kind of like big, roughly uh, fur coat looking thing, and talking about how she this is her nephew and he's going to work here now because he's a chef and he she's so proud of him. And he, he, they're going to remodel the shop and change things around. And he's going to show up and make okonomiyaki and uh, while Centaro makes doriaki. And is just like, 
I've known people like this and like, this is, she is very much the like white or not white, but like, <laughs> sorry, it's sorry. It's just what pop, popped into mind. But like this, like prissy rich lady who is like, you're going to do this because I say so. And this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, He'd like gotten into some trouble before or something. Yeah. I think a thing that's very telling is when she's like, you know, greet him properly. And he's just like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And just like coming in and basically throwing Centauro's entire world upside down and being like, you're and him having no agency in, in any of this, like you're going to have to deal with being crammed into the corner of the shop uh, and deal with like living with this guy every day. And um, it's just like grim. So uh, the next uh, shortly thereafter, Wakane shows up to the shop and sees it's being remodeled with the, the nephew just kind of like bumming around, tossing the, the banner on the ground and just being a dick. And she doesn't even approach it. And she goes off. she, doesn't see Centaur there. She's, so she goes off looking for him and finds him near the entrance to the sanatorium. And uh, it's like, I, I knew I would find you here. And he's sitting on a, on a rail very dejectedly, like hunched over. And they decide to go see Tokwe again, uh, only to find out from Yoshiko that Tokwe passed away three days ago. And, um, which the, the moment they walk in and, and the like look on Yoshiko's face at the little restaurant uh, immediately mm-hmm. lets, lets you know that like this is bad news. Um, so they go to, uh, after asking for, for or greeting and like asking for permission to enter, they go into Tokwe's uh, apartment and she pulls down and unwraps all of Tokwe's um bean paste making implements and says that she would, she'd want you to have these and gives them to Centauro as we get a few pans over to like pictures of Tokwe's family from before she, she, for when she first came in and then a cabinet just full of pictures of her and Wakane and Centauro, everybody like looking happy together. Um, yeah, boy, and and the the cooking in- instruments are engraved mm-hmm. with her name. It's just oof, yeah, yeah. And and Centaur is just having a very hard time of it. And there is a cassette recorder that she left a message on, a final message for them. And um, in it, uh, Tokwe first addresses Wakane, saying that she she has to apologize because she freed Marvy almost immediately upon getting him because listening to her, to his song, he was saying about how he wanted to be free and she couldn't keep him in a cage. And we get, uh, more, a ton more like of his singing and, and bird song in general over these shots of nature that are filmed with like a, a different style of camera, like an, an a very grainy kind of like home movie look, all of these uh, nature shots while she narrates. Uh, And she talks about she doesn't have children and had an unsuccessful pregnancy. But if she had a child, 
they would be about the same age as Centauro is now. And uh, when she first ran across him, he looked so sad and this look of suffering on his face that she knew she had to, she was drawn to him because it's the same look that she had when she was younger in the sanatorium. And she thought about uh, thinking about the face he was making and being drawn to it. She's reminded of uh, talking to the moon one night. It was a full moon and the moon whispered to her, I wanted you to see me. That's why I was shining. And so she feels like this, the, she was drawn to him for a purpose and uh, towards the end of this recording, we get one last uh, kind of look at Tokwe, her just standing on on this overlook with cherry blossoms, uh, looking down on on a little village, and stating like her her kind of major belief that we are we are brought into this world. And we are here, and the reason we are here is to experience it and kind of suggesting that our worth is not in what we do, but the fact that we are here, which kind of brings back all of her, uh, brings back all of her personification of everything else, like the, the beans and the trees and birds all like, they have no agency of in existing in this world, but we they they deserve dignity and respect, just like any person, because like they're here and and being here is enough to warrant that. And uh, then we get our final set of scenes following that, and we it's uh, throughout the movie we've been the the kind of cherry blossoms let us know what the season is. It starts in early spring and then eventually the, the leaves fall off and, or the, the flowers fall off and it's late spring going into summer. And then the, the leaves fall off and it's fall and winter and it's fall when Tokwe dies. But in this scene, the cherry blossoms are back. So letting us know that it is next spring uh, and Wakane is in her schoolgirl outfit, suggesting that she did in fact go to high school. Uh, walking down the street, waving at it, or smiling at a, a family with some cute kids, <laughs> Yay. and then we see this beautiful park, just just surrounded by cherry blossoms and lush green, and children like smiling and playing everywhere. And then we see Centaro on this; he's got a, a small table just in the middle of the park. Uh, it's not even a full stand, but he is he's smiling and happy, uh, and. Uh, the film ends with him calling out Doriaki, come and get him <laughs> as he smiles, uh, having abandoned the, the stand and striking out on his own to do something that makes him happy. It's great. Yeah. And then as the credits yeah. roll, it, it like has a little bit of audio of people saying like, can please or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, Alex, what did you think? I liked it. Um, it was very sweet. Uh, like I, uh, it, it sort of drew me right from the beginning. I love movies about food. Uh, I love watching people yeah. make food. And, um, those were all my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, man, Karen Kiki, what a great performance. I, uh, like she kind of carried the movie, um, not to, 
you know, disparage the, uh, you know, everybody else's uh, jobs in the movie, but um, she really carried it. And, um, yeah, it, it brought, uh, she brought a lot of weight to everything. And, and I felt like this is a great movie to me because I felt such a range of emotions while watching it. And um, not a lot of movies um, can do that so easily. Uh, it is a, it's sort of a sleepy movie, but, um, but I didn't think that was a detriment to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just the movie has a very, uh, particular pace to it. Uh, that's very, it seems very intentional. Um, but overall, I really liked it. Cool. Joey? Uh, yeah, I, I think I feel about the same. I, um, after it was over, I think what the first thing I said was something along the lines of like, that was nice. Like, (laughs) it just (laughs) felt really good, like to watch that movie and, um, it yeah it it was interesting those like kind of fine tiny details occasionally i feel like i would uh blink and miss some time changing that that was the thing i had a little bit of trouble with this kind mm. of keeping up with the timeline cuz like when they visit her i think maybe we're supposed to kind of pick up on that her hair seems a little grayer and maybe uh Centaro's hair is a little longer or something that i feel like a little bit more time is supposed to have passed between that and her quitting than what it feels yeah. like um and and yeah those little subtle things about the like uh really keeping an eye on the seasons changing and stuff were um pretty subtle not like now there's a bunch of snow on the ground and now it's hot and we're on the beach or something like that right um mm-hmm. yeah so i yeah and kiki's performance was really incredible i thought nagase as Santaro was a really good uh performance too extremely uh, yeah, subtle and controlled, but boy, in those scenes at the end, uh, you can really feel his grief. And as you were talking about that sort of added second layer with uh, um, the actress that plays Wakana and Tokue, like being actually related, like there's now this kind of strange second layer laid over uh, the the ending where Kiki's character has passed away, and now knowing that she. Uh, has passed away in real life and stuff, I think added uh, even more weight uh, to it, um, mm-hmm. which was uh, pretty, you know, pretty emotional. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall, though, uh, it leaves you with a really positive feeling. And and even though it is kind of sleepy, it really does draw you in. So I felt very interested in what everyone was doing, even when it was slow and there is no dialogue and stuff. Yeah, it's not a lot actually happens in this movie, which like I I read the synopsis when I picked it. So I knew what I was in for. But uh, I didn't realize until my second watch when I was like uh, skimming back over scenes and saw that the movie was actually over two hours long because it didn't feel like that to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I was just so engrossed in from scene to scene. Um, I love this movie. I really enjoy the like. I enjoy that subtlety and even though it is confusing sometimes it's I think it made the movie more interesting how non-explicit everything was Um, having to like kind of piece together stuff almost 
uh, in some scenes, but just the the subtlety of performance that we don't characters don't go on these like they don't tell you their feelings. You just have to like suss it out, and things like uh, Tokwe's character, who is she is this like cheerful eccentric person, and then like the more you find out about her life and what she's been through, you realize that like the, these eccentricities are probably like tools that she had to acquire to not just like be crushed by depression and at the isolation from her family and from society. And so like, I I really appreciate the subtlety and both, both Kieran Kiki and Nagase uh, are eminently up to the task of like conveying all that emotion and personality with such, with so few words. And uh, I, I just really love that. And I love how the movie looks like everything. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of being in Japan because I was there in late spring and everything was like, it was after the cherry blossoms, but everything was still so green and lush and beautiful like the film is just exquisitely shot and uh the wide shots are are beautiful and i like how intimate everything feels with the uh with the closer in hand shots um i'm very interested to see kawase's other films Mm -hmm. uh this one was actually uh like i said it, it basically um got a prestigious spot in the kind of runner up category at uh, at Cannes, it, it was it got kind of middling critical reviews, mostly because people thought it was maybe a little too saccharine, that it was uh, too sweet and didn't really get it much. But I kind of I kind of like that. I don't. Not everything needs to be like some depressing slog about human nature. And there is a bunch of stuff that's like meditative about like life being hard and, and, and painful. But for the most part, this is a very like gentle, kind, sweet movie. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I feel like there were like a lot of moments, a lot of opportunities for uh higher drama or something. Like when we find out that uh, Centaro kind of has, a, you know, a, a checkered past and he there was something tying him to that shop i was like all right here we go tragic backstory and then like um uh the sort of little reveal that possibly it was wakana who told her mom about the leprosy that got the rumor to his boss or something or possibly just that yeah. she was part of the rumor spreading in general like is also something that could have been taken as like a moment of high drama to have the characters have a falling out and stuff. But like, I feel like all that stuff, when you finally do find out Centaro's backstory, it's really like, kind of like, okay, that makes sense. That's why he would be in the situation, but that's not really what the movie's about. And the same thing with, uh, Wakana. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think I really enjoyed this. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Uh, on the music, like I said, I couldn't find the composer, and music is used very sparsely. But I, I do feel like it's going back to people thinking this movie is a little too saccharine. It, uh, it was like the sadly twee piano music that you kind of think of. Um, 
Uh, Joey, did you have any favorite parts or aspects that stood out to you that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, when I was reflecting on it, I didn't, you know, the whole movie flows into from one scene to another so well that like there wasn't really one super standout part. Um, but I think the thing that I took away from it the most is I just loved how quiet it was and how kind of relaxing it made me feel. Um, I just felt super, super great after watching it and very, very relaxed. So like the, the quietness, uh, always hearing the like the wind and, and the sort of sound design stuff I, th- I found very uh, great. And um, that's, I think, what I will take away as my favorite part of this film um, outside of maybe the performances. Mm-hmm. Alex? Um, the scene where uh, there's like a liner on the block for the Doriaki shop is so mm-hmm. positive. And uh, I don't know, made me feel so great. Uh, it, it seemed like, you know, it, it seemed like like the highest point in Tokoi's life. You know, mm. like she's getting recognition for her talent, and uh, and Centaro seems happy too. Like it's a great, it's a great moment because both characters are really happy about it, and uh, everybody who. Like, whenever uh, you see Centaro working, this is just another facet of the movie that I really like, uh, and you hear people talking about his Doriaki, whether it be like, oh, this is, you know, undercooked, or, or man, this is really great. Uh, they're comments that, that don't seem phoned in. You know, they mm. seem like, they, they all seem very, uh, they feel very naturally uh, real to me. Mm. Like, you know, comments that you'd probably, you know, that you would make in real life about like, oh, this burger. I laughed really hard when he came back the day after uh, Tokue worked the whole shift by herself and he was like looking through one of her badly made uh, pancakes and it had like a hole in the middle of it. And he's like, "Uh, what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was really sweet and funny. Um, Yeah. Oh, uh, when um, when Centaro gives Wakane the uh, like the burnt pancakes. It, mm-hmm. uh, if you guys have seen Steven Universe, it just reminds me of whenever Steven goes to the fry <laughs> shop and yep. you ask for the bits. Yep, the bits. That's so funny. Yeah, that, that scene of the line wrapping around the block is another one that I kind of had a moment where I was like, man, if this was Tom Popo, this is when the, that classical music would be booming. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is basically the end of Tom Popo. There, there's a big line around the block. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did make a note that um, the opening shot of the movie, like as soon as this movie started, I was like, wow, this movie's gorgeous. Like, mm. yeah, just yeah, it struck me immediately, too. Like that. That's what that's what drew me in, really, was the cinematography and then how great it looked. Yeah, that's what also got me that and and the soundscape, just like those booming steps as in the opening was just kind of arresting in a fascinating way, because I was like, I had read the synopsis, but I was like, what is this film? <laughs> Cause it's just so different. Yeah. Um, it, it's not my favorite part, but going back to the like post uh, switching to the, to the homemade bean paste thing. Uh, one of my favorite little parts is when the school girls show up and they're raving about how much, how improved it is. And they ask, did you like do something to the recipe? And he's like, he smirks a little and just says like squishy and like holds a, a little and then they like lose their shit because they actually like got him to smirk. Yeah, he holds up his hand in the like just a little bit gesture, but he does it real quick and he seems kind of yeah, he keeps, seems kind of embarrassed or something, but like he's proud. he's it's like coy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um 
but uh, my favorite part of the film is probably when they're uh, when they're in the restaurant in the sanatorium eating the the bean soup mm-hmm. and just like that exchange because like it's the performances on both sides of that are just so genuine and natural and both them like choking back tears as she tells him that it was like a perfect time in her life um, is just like so touching and sweet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, because this movie has such a small cast, uh, I I figured we would skip the the Takashi Shimura award. Yeah, I kept thinking about that the entire movie. I'm like, there's no Takashi Shimura award because, yeah. like, yeah, yeah they're there's, all excellent. Yeah, there's so few people, and everybody gives great performances. Um, but uh, for the for the shall we dance segment, who do you did y'all have any like ideas of who would play? this in an American remake or any, any changes aside from being a different pastry than Doriaki. So, Oh, uh, unless you had an idea first, Joey. Well, I uh, was gonna, I'm not, so with this segment, I'm not as good at like piecing, like pointing out act specific actors, but I do like to kind of think about in what ways it could be changed to be more culturally relevant. Yeah. And like we were talking about the leprosy thing, I think would be an interesting thing to, tackle but i was kind of like i don't know if that would really um communicate as well to american audiences and so i was trying to think of like a what kind of thing would be similar and it it really made me think of the sort of 90s wave of uh media about aids you know Mm -hmm. and about how uh there was a lot of paranoia about how it was transferable and how what and in what ways uh, we were being educated that it wasn't actually uh and things like that um, so I, I don't know. That's the only real like thought I had besides, yeah, they'd have to just be kind of maybe a general pastry shop or something other than Dorayaki. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the leprosy, uh, there, I, I think there was still a, uh, a restricted leper colony in operation in Louisiana, uh, in the nineties in the U S. So this could easily be like about beignets or something. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I kept thinking to myself like, yeah, it would be like pastries. I didn't think I didn't have any specific actors in mind, but what I did think about like heavily was that if this was an American movie, this would be Oscar bait, and it would be about mm-hmm. leprosy, and mm-hmm. it would be mostly about leprosy and not about the characters. Mm. Yeah, my uh, my immediate instinct was was similar in that like if th- there was an American remake of this, it would because uh, America makes a lot of like super saccharine stuff, but. Whereas the 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 academy seems to like bite harder on that level of of overly sweet, yeah. Um, but yeah, my immediate thing was like this film would be worse if it was made in America because it would be angling as Oscar bait, and it would probably star Meryl Streep instead <laughs> of Kieran Kiki. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's that's one. That seems like the kind of role that she's super into. Yeah, uh, and I would worry that like. Like the way uh, America does these movies, these uh, Oscar bait movies that tend to focus on one particular thing, like oh, this is the Stephen Hawking movie. Look how tragic it is, or this is the, um, you know, like I, it's, you know, my 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 fear if if this would be remade in America is that it would go to extreme and sort of miss the point, uh, and really 
like I don't know. I I feel like movies have movies American movies have a bad habit of shoehorning in something that's guaranteed to make you feel sad mm-hmm. without without uh naturally getting there if that makes any sense and i feel yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like this movie takes its time and and it's not about the leprosy it really isn't it's it's about mm-hmm. it's about tokwe yeah i feel i feel like it would it being a movie about a serious thing uh hey, oh, it, this is obviously like raised awareness of leprosy among us and hopefully our listeners. But like, like you said, it's not about that. It is about the characters and their kind of the, like their small personal humanity. And I feel like if you were trying to, that, that you might lose that, you might lose the characters in the shuffle if you try to make it bigger than that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do we have coming up next month? Ah, next month. Uh, well, next month is December, the coldest of all months, depending on where you live. Uh, not here in DC. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, next next month, we will be doing the funeral, which is a Juzui Tommy movie. Uh, we talked about it very briefly when we did Tumpopo, uh, and since then, I've been wanting to watch it. So, uh, finally, getting to do that. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I haven't seen this uh, either, but um, it's it's been around and I've heard of it. But looking forward to yeah. seeing it. I think uh, I'm pretty sure Tom Popo is the only Tommy movie I've seen. Yeah, it's one. Yeah, same here. The only Tommy movie I've seen, and I just want to see more. And he has so much work under his belt that I I feel like it's sort of a a shame that I haven't uh, seen more. So so that's what we're gonna do, guys. We're gonna watch a Juzo Tommy. Awesome. Movie. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as, sorry to all our listeners again for this being delayed. All of our uh, all of our October's were extremely busy, and it was difficult to find time to record. Yep. Um, yeah, I feel like, but, uh, if if last year is any indication, I seem to remember the last few months of the year being tough to schedule in general. So we'll tr- we'll try mm-hmm. our best to get the the funeral episode out uh in early december but uh you know keep an eye out <laughs> um joey where can people find you on the internet uh they can find me on twitter at joey weiser or joeyweiser.tumblr.com is where i post news about my comics work um the merman graphic novel series is is now complete and out in five volumes both in hardcover and softcover um and look out uh next year for ghost hog uh, my next graphic novel. Alex? Well, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation, all one word, and you can listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at VriskaChat, V-R-I-S-K-A chat. Um, I, I mentioned last month that uh, watching uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero made me want to rewatch Planet of the Vampires, and I bought a recent Blu-ray release of it that is an excellent transfer and has uh, some incredible commentary. So uh, hit me up on Twitter if you want to ask about that. Cool. Um, yeah, tune, uh, everybody tune in next month for uh, Giuseppe Tami's The Funeral. <laughs>